Good morning. Did that waiting make you a little uncomfortable? This morning we were talking about waiting, specifically waiting before the Lord. Uh, my name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor with you. Uh, here with, I get to open God's word with you. If you'll grab your Bible and find Acts chapter 1. While you're finding that, I want you to think about waiting. We're a culture that doesn't really like to wait. Uh, we have microwave dinners. We have instantaneous connection through our cell phones, through Facebook, through social media, through everything. We always are together all the time, connecting, connecting, no waiting, getting things immediately as soon as we want them. We don't even wait until we have enough money to buy something. We buy it on credit uh, and go into debt for it so that we can get it right now because we can't wait two weeks until our paycheck comes or whatever. We're just not a culture that is very accustomed to waiting. But I want you to think in your mind of a picture of a runner, a track runner. When I was in high school, uh, the f well, when I was in middle school and then freshman year of high school and then I got a job and I didn't do anything else except for work. But when I, before I got a job, when I was a kid, I ran track. And it, when you run track, when you are a sprinter, uh, they have you start in the blocks. And so you, we spent a lot of time learning how to stand the right way in the blocks and get down and, and your, your muscles are poised and your, your hands are right and you have your arm back and, and you're waiting there so that when the gun is fired, the starting gun of the race, you can spring forward and, ra and take off. Uh, and we spent a lot of time, lots of time in practice, practicing standing in the blocks, getting crouched the right way, all that stuff, learning how to do that and, and how to stand there. And you're, you just kind of have this picture in your mind of a runner who's crouched in the blocks, who's waiting, tensed, muscles tensed, coiled, ready to spring, waiting for that starting gun to fire. Because as soon as that gun fires, boom, you take off and you go. Now, if you're not ready... When the starting gun fires, you will be behind. You, you, you'll be at a disadvantage in the race. And, and I remember track meets where some runners didn't want to, to run in the blocks. So they would stand kind of like this. And when the gun fired, they would just take off running. But they inevitably would get off to a slower start because they weren't quite ready when the gun fired to take off. They weren't prepared the right way. They weren't ready to go. And so when we think about waiting, I want us to think about waiting like a runner in the blocks. The question is, have you ever been in a season of waiting in your life? Chances are you have, right? We all have seasons of waiting in our life, especially those transitional moments in life oftentimes present opportunities to wait, uh, which is not really a pleasant thing to do. I always tell people, never pray and ask God to give you patience <laughs> because he will put you in a traffic jam. And then you will have patience as you wait. You'll, you'll have to develop that. But you think about waiting, specifically waiting in life, transitional moments in life, waiting to finish school, right? Uh, waiting for your spouse to finish school if they're still in. Uh, waiting to hear back on that job application. Waiting to get married. Oh, we got the rings, but we're just waiting for the, that special day. Waiting for your baby to come. Waiting to move out of your parents' house or waiting for your kids to finally move out of your house, right? <laughs> you get into that waiting, that season of waiting, waiting for the bag of popcorn in the microwave to finish popping <laughs> or 
How many of you have already submitted your taxes? Okay, you guys get a gold star. Uh, waiting for your tax return check to come or waiting to write the check that you have to send. Uh, have you ever been in a season of waiting in life? What about waiting on God? Have you ever felt like you're sort of waiting on God to give you the next step, to give you that direction? Well, what do you do while you wait? Do you view those transitional moments, those seasons of waiting as an opportunity to wait before the Lord so that he can reveal his plan and his direction for your life? Or do you get antsy and, and try to strike out on your own path? Are you ready for what God has next for you? Are you prepared like a runner in the blocks so that when God says, now you can take off? If God, if God this morning reveals what his next step for your life is, would you be ready this morning to take that step and to follow whatever God calls you to do today? If God says, I want you to go on a mission trip, would you be ready today to say yes? If God says, I want you to give, fill in the blank, would you be ready today to say yes? If God said, I want you to start being the spiritual leader of your family, would you say, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to start doing that? Uh, if God says, I want you to share your faith with that family member or that coworker or that neighbor, oh my, I, I can't share my faith with them. I'm not ready. What do you do while you're waiting for God's direction in your life? That's what we're going to talk about this morning, waiting. And Jesus' disciples found themselves precisely in a moment of waiting. They were in a position where they had to wait on God's next move. We're starting this series through the book of Acts, and last week we saw that Jesus ascended into heaven, and just before that he said this in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my, prom my father promised. So Jesus is, is getting ready to, to ascend back into heaven. He's just given the disciples the great commission. They're going to be his witnesses all over the world. And he says, but first, wait. Wait for the gift my father promised. Go back to Jerusalem and wait they're in a season of waiting on God's next move in their lives individually and in their lives collectively as this baby uh, church movement that was getting started. So the question that we have this morning as we dig into Acts chapter 1 verses 12 to through 26 is uh, what will we do, what should we do while we wait on God? How do we get ready for God's next move? How did they get ready for it? What did they do while they were waiting? And how does that translate into our lives, into our seasons of waiting in our lives today? So we're going to, to dig right into Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Um, let me read through this whole passage, and then we will we'll talk about some of, the, uh, some of the, the application points. Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. That's not Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. That's a different Judas. 
Verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and he said, brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. That's a nice little picture, isn't it? Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language Akeldama, which is the field of blood. So Judas was one of Jesus' 12 apostles. He's the one who betrayed Jesus. And after he betrayed Jesus and Jesus was arrested and Judas realized that his, his Messiah was going to be crucified because of his betrayal, Judas went and committed suicide. And so Peter's uh, kind of rehashing this and saying, look, uh, the scripture has to be fulfilled. Ju- what happened to Judas? Here's what happened. And then Peter says in verse 24, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted and let there be no one to dwell in it. And may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, from begin- beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show to us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. I guess we know how Peter felt about Judas, right? Verse 26, then they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. So So he was added to the 11 apostles. This passage is all about waiting on God and what did they do while they were waiting on God and how does that apply to our lives? I want to pull out two things from these verses. The first one is this. While we wait, we pray. We get ready for God's next move on our knees before the Lord in prayer. That's what verses 12 through 14 are all about. They returned to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Then he gives the roll call of who was present. And then verse 14, look, he says, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They prayed while they waited. They weren't just sort of Uh, wandering aimlessly around Jerusalem waiting on God to do something, they were getting together in this upper room where they were staying and they were praying. They, They weren't passively just waiting for something to happen. They were active, actively waiting. That seems kind of an oxymoron, right? How can you actively wait? Well, they were. And while we wait on God, we pray. We get ready for his next move, together in prayer and and there's two things that I want to point out about how they prayed first of all they prayed together literally it says that they had one mind in prayer they were united in prayer they prayed with one heart with one voice with one mind prayed for the same thing for the same purpose for the same mission for the gift that God had promised 
to give them the gift of the Holy Spirit who comes in Acts chapter two. We'll see that next week. They prayed together. So the question I would have is, do you pray together with anyone? Do you have a prayer partner? I can tell you this from my own experience that I pray more often when I pray with people. I pray more often, more frequently. It is easier for me to maintain a consistent habit of prayer when I pray with someone else. I would encourage you to find somebody you trust, find a brother or a sister in the Lord, find somebody in your life group or in your Bible study group or some uh, context and get together with them even if it's once a week just to pray, even if it's a phone call for five minutes to pray together. You'll pray more often, you'll pray more consistently when you pray together just like the disciples did. They prayed together and the second thing I want to point out is they prayed constantly. They prayed always, constantly, consistently. They were continually praying. They didn't waste their time. Uh, Jesus had promised to send the Holy Spirit. They knew that God would keep his promise, but they weren't passive. They filled their waiting with prayer, constant prayer, around-the-clock prayer. Now you say, how do I do that? How do I always pray constantly? Like I have a job, I have to work, I'm driving on the highway, I can't close my eyes when I'm driving. At least you shouldn't do that. It's not recommended. Um, so how do you do that? Well, if you think about prayer is really a conversation with God. So if you're having a conversation with God, sometimes you're talking, but sometimes you're listening. Just like you have a conversation with somebody else. And prayer is really, it's being aware of God's presence with you all the time. So I like to think of it like this. If, if God is a person who is following me around all day, who is with me all day. He's like a friend who is with me all the time. Sometimes I'm in a conversation with that friend and sometimes I'm not really actively talking to him but I'm aware that he's there. And if he wants to say something to me, he does and I'm listening, right? It's that awareness of going through life with God. It's having that conversational relationship with God. And if you're always aware of and acknowledging God with you, you will constantly be in a heart of prayer. The disciples prayed together and they prayed constantly. Do you have a prayer partner? Do you have a conversational relationship with God? What do you do while you wait? Are you filling your waiting with prayer? It's a cool story. Uh, Corinne has a friend from college named Sarah. Sarah and her husband John wanted to have a baby and they prayed together constantly for nine years without getting pregnant. Prayed, 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 went to the doctor, did all that stuff, could not get pregnant. And then a few years ago, uh, they posted this on Facebook. Uh, her husband, John, uh, posted this. He said, Sarah went in for a yearly physical Monday and found out she was pregnant. A couple hours later, we had an ultrasound and found out it was a baby boy and he would be arriving in two to six weeks. <laughs> He said, Sarah has had very little symptoms and the doctors pointed out that this type of not noticing is very common in parents who have been trying for a long time unsuccessfully. They went back to the doctor on Wednesday and they moved, up our, due date, uh, they moved our due date up 10 days. They said we were between 36 and 38 weeks pregnant. As such, we are scrambling to get everything we need. Family and friends have been so supportive, it's a little humbling, with people coming out of the woodwork to offer clothes, cribs, bassinets, and everything. 
Sarah's work is throwing her a shower and her family is throwing her another one. As far as we can tell, in as little as two days, we have been given everything we need for this baby without spending a penny. We are truly overwhelmed. They prayed and 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 they prayed for nine years before God blessed them by answering their prayer with a child. What are you doing while you wait? How are you filling your waiting with prayer? One commentary put it this way. There is no effective witness without the Spirit, and their way to spiritual empowerment is to wait in prayer. One of the things that we need to learn as Christians, as American Christians especially, is to wait before the Lord in prayer. If we want the power of God in our lives, if we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit to do great things for God, we need to learn to be patient. We need to learn to wait before the Lord in prayer. I want to point out, what, was the, what were the disciples praying for in that upper room? When they were praying together and they were praying constantly, what were they praying for? Well, probably not for grandma's next door neighbor's ingrown toenail. Right Now, is it wrong to pray for grandma's next door neighbor's ingrown toenail? Absolutely not. We should bring all of our prayer requests and all of our needs to God. Philippians 4, 6 uh, says this, but in, uh, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, bring all your requests to God. Don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. God cares about every single one of our needs, every single one of your concerns, no matter how insignificant or minor it might seem. Even grandma's next door neighbor's ingrown toenail. God cares about that, and we should bring those things that weigh our hearts down to the Lord in prayer. But, but, if that is all we pray for, we are missing something big. Because the disciples weren't there in Jerusalem in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit to come praying for grandma's next door neighbor's ingrown toenail. They were praying for God to move. They were praying for God to show up. They were praying for God to be at work. They were asking the Lord to deliver the promise, uh, the gift that he had promised to give. They were asking the Lord for wisdom and for clarity and for direction in what he was going to do for them. They were asking God for his mission. They were asking God to fill them with his power and his presence and his spirit to accomplish his mission for their lives. How often are our prayers more than the, the daily needs and worries of life? Yes, Jesus himself taught us to pray. Give us today our daily bread, right? We need to bring our needs and our prayers and our concerns and our worries before the Lord. But if we stop there, we are missing out on what God wants us to do. While you're waiting in a, in a transitional moment in life, in a season of life, don't just pray about those day in and day out needs, but ask God to move. Pray for his next move in your life individually. Pray for his next move in our lives together as his church. While we wait, we pray. Number two, while we wait, we prepare. We pray and we prepare. We get ready for God's next move on our knees before the Lord in prayer, and we get ready for God's next move on our feet, actively preparing for what God is going to do next 
in our lives. Let's read verses 15 through the end of that passage again and, and just see how they prepared for God's next move. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. There were about 120 of them, and he said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. Then if you go down to verse 20, Peter says, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted. He's talking about Judas. Let Judas's place be deserted. Let there be no one to fill it. And may another take his place of leadership. These were psalms that were written hundreds of years before any of this happened. And if you read back, Peter quotes, uh, the first scripture he quotes is Psalm 69, 25. Uh, May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it. And the second one he quotes is Psalm 109, 8. May another take his place of leadership. He, if you go back and read those psalms in their full context, those psalms are about David, King David's friends who betrayed him and tried to have him killed they were prophetic psalms that happened to king david in the old testament it happened to jesus in the new testament one of his inner circle judas betrayed him so that he could be killed and crucified on the cross so peter looks back at those psalms and he he quotes them and he says look judas's place is going to be deserted it was prophesied in the psalms and then may another take his place of leadership Verse 21, therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who've been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us. From the beginning of John's baptism to the time Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Then they nominated two men. And they cast lots and they chose which one would take Judas's place. Now what is this scene all about? What's going on in here? Well, it shows us that they weren't just sitting around twiddling their thumbs, waiting for God to do something. They were actively preparing. They were organizing. They were getting ready for God's next move so that when God rolls in, they're ready to go. They're preparing, they're organizing, they're restructuring, right? In order to to fulfill God's mission, they needed a full team of apostles. They were down one. Judas had recently left. So he needed to be replaced. So what did they do? They were seeking God's will and direction for how to select and who to select uh, as a a new apostle for Judas. And they, they sought God's will in five ways. Let me just point these out. First of all, they turned to scripture. When they were seeking God's will, when they were trying to figure out what his direction was, they turned to scripture. We already saw what Peter quoted from the Psalms. Uh, they, they sought God's will by turning to Scripture. Secondly, they used common sense. Right? God's given us his word, and he's also given us a brain. They used common sense. What do they need? Well, they need a new apostle to replace Judas. What are the qualifications of an apostle? How do we know who we can choose? Well, that's in verses 21 through 22. It's necessary to choose one of the men who've been with us the whole time. from the beginning of John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up. They needed to choose an apostle who had been with them from the very beginning. Someone who had been following Jesus from the time Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River through all of Jesus' ministry. They needed to choose someone who had heard Jesus' teaching, 
who had seen Jesus do the miracles and the healings, who had seen Jesus be crucified, and who had seen Jesus physically resurrected. They needed someone who was an eyewitness of Jesus' life and ministry who would replace Judas because the disciples, the apostles, were eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. So they needed someone who was going to be an eyewitness who could say, I've seen him with my own eyes. So they say, okay, we need an apostle. Here are the qualifications. Who in the room of 120 meets these qualifications? And they narrowed it down to two men. Judas, also called Justice, and Matthias. And they used their common sense. Now, I I do want to put a little caveat in here. Sometimes God calls us to do something that doesn't seem to make sense to our common sense. God's given us his word. God's given us a brain and, and reason and logic and we can figure things out. But sometimes God calls us to do something and because we can't really see the whole picture, it doesn't seem to make sense to us. And, and sometimes we need to follow God and trust him even when it doesn't seem like it makes sense. But when you're seeking God's will, these are good steps to use. Go to the scriptures and see what they they say. Think about it. Use the brain that God has given you. Third, they prayed constantly. I don't need to spend any more time explaining that. We already talked about that. Fourth, they cast lots. What's that? It's kind of like casting dice. It's kind of like throwing dice. In the Old Testament, before the Holy Spirit was poured out in Acts chapter 2, which we'll see next week, in the Old Testament, they, used to, they had these things called lots. Uh, some people think they were sticks. Some people think they were rocks. We don't really know exactly what they were, but somehow it was kind of like dice, and they would cast it down, and whatever the lots showed, they would get an answer from the Lord. That was an acceptable practice in the Old Testament. It was something that God said, yes, I will speak to my people through this practice of casting lots. The Holy Spirit hasn't been poured out yet. They don't have direct access to me uh, living inside of them, so I will speak to them through casting lots. Interestingly enough, this is the last time in the Bible that anybody casts lots and seeks God's direction. Why is that? Because next week, the Holy Spirit comes. We don't need to cast lots anymore. But they did. They cast lots. And then number five, they did all this, seeking the scriptures, using their common sense, praying together, even the casting lots. They did it all together. God reveals his will in the fellowship of the believer. God reveals his will in community. Sometimes when I'm reading the Bible and I'm thinking, wow, God's telling me something here, I'm not exactly right. And it's, it's important to, to, to submit what I think God is telling me in his word to the, the fellowship of the church, to the, the authority, the spiritual authority of the elders in the church, of trusted Christian uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who will speak God's word into me because sometimes I can get my own ideas mixed up in there. And God's will is revealed in the community. It's one of the reasons that God created the church. It's one of the reasons he established this body of believers because we do these things together in community. How is God preparing you for his next step? Every single person who does something great for God goes through a a season of preparation. Moses prepared for God's plan by going through the wilderness and spending 40 years shepherding sheep. 
before God called him through the burning bush to go back to, to Pharaoh in Egypt and bring the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt with the plagues. Moses had to go through that 40-year-long uh, season of preparation and waiting on God to send a deliverer to Egypt. Uh, David, King David, he was also a shepherd. He was a musician. When he was a teenage boy, he killed Goliath, the giant soldier of the Philistines, the, the opposing army of Israel who uh, no one could stand against. David, this teenage boy, stands against Goliath and kills him. He did all of those things before he became Israel's greatest king. He had a long season of waiting. He knew that God had anointed him and called him to be the king, but he had to wait years before that promise was fulfilled, and he prepared for that. Even Jesus himself spent 40 days in the wilderness without eating any food, being tempted by Satan before his ministry began. Everybody who does anything for God goes through a season of preparation and waiting. So the question is, how is God preparing you for your next step? How are you getting ready for God's next move in your life, whatever that is? So that when he calls you up, when he shoots the starting gun, you are ready to explode out of the blocks and go. What is God's next step for you? What is your next step? What can you do while you wait on God to move? For some of you, the next step is the first step. For some of you, the next step is, is making a decision to follow Jesus. It is deciding that you believe the eyewitness testimony of the apostles that is recorded in the Bible about who Jesus is the Son of God who became a man, about what Jesus did. He lived a perfect life that none of us could live, about what Jesus did dying on the cross. Even though Jesus never sinned, he was executed, murdered on the cross in our place. We should have been the ones to die on the cross because we are sinners. Jesus didn't sin, but he died on the cross in our place as a substitution for our uh, sin. He paid our penalty. Uh, Jesus was resurrected on the third day, that first Easter Sunday. And he came back to life through the power of God. And he lives now. And he will fill your life with his Holy Spirit when you put your faith in him. For some of you, the next step is that first step of deciding, yes, I believe the eyewitness testimony recorded in the scripture and I choose to follow Jesus. For those of us who are already born again, what are we doing? What is our next step while we wait on God? Here are a few steps that we have that you could take. You can follow uh, Jesus by getting baptized as a believer. If you haven't been baptized since you put your faith in Christ, you can do that. Uh, you can join a small group. We have life groups, we have Bible study groups, we have lots of different opportunities for you to connect in that community so you can pray together, so you can turn to scripture together, so you can prepare your heart to receive God's word for your life through uh, the community of the church. You can become a covenant member of the church. Some people attend church, some people are members of the church and we have a membership class that you could go through if that's something that you're interested in doing to make a commitment to God's family at Lakeview Church. Uh, you can start serving. If you've never served, you can start. 
It's a great opportunity. It's a great way to stretch yourself to figure out what has God gifted you and wired you to do and how has he created you to serve and what can you contribute to his mission while you wait on him to give you direction in your life. You can start giving. Some of us uh, give and some of us don't. And this is an opportunity while you're waiting on God to move. What do you want me to do, Lord? Maybe I need to start serving. Maybe I need to start giving. Uh, what I would like for, uh, for all of us to do is in your bulletin, you have that little Are You New card. If you could pull that card out. If there is something that God is laying on your heart, maybe it's one of these steps, maybe it's a different step. I think it would be great if, we, if you would just take a moment and write it on the back of that card. In the prayer request slot's fine. If you want to put your name on it, that's great. If you don't want to put your name on it, don't worry about it. Sometimes it helps just to write down what God is calling me to do. How am I preparing for God's next move? What is the next step that God is bringing to my heart right now? What we're going to do is, uh, I'd love, love for you to fill that out. Uh, we're going to conclude the service in a moment with communion uh, as we wait before the Lord in this act of worship. But while we are praying and while we are singing and while we are doing communion, if you feel like God is bringing something specific to your mind, to your heart as a next step, I want you to write that on the card and then uh, we'll collect those cards at the end of the service. If you put your name on that, we will pray with you by name specifically so that you, God will give you the courage and the direction and how to take that step. If it's something that we can help facilitate, like joining a small group or a life group or getting baptized or becoming a member, we will contact you, follow up with you, and help you figure out how to take that next step. If you don't put your name on it, we'll still pray about it, God knows. Okay, so whatever your next step is, whatever you are doing while this season of waiting, put that down on your card and we'll collect those cards at the end of the service. I'm gonna invite the communion servers and the worship team up Communion presents a great opportunity, again, to wait before the Lord in prayer, to serve God in worship. I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. What he's talking about there, eating the bread, drinking the cup in an unworthy manner, communion is a covenant meal between God and man. When we